and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back at the cartoons and movies and TV shows of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I am Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we are continuing with our spooky Halloween theme. Spooky. You know, when I did that, I, I really feel like I'm channeling my inner uh, Dr. Orpheus from Venture Brothers. <laughs> Venture Twins. Oh, that's such a good show. <laughs> so this week we're covering Scooby-Doo and the Ghoul School. Writing? Like, don't you mean lightning scoop? Like not while I'm driving, Scoop. Hey, don't forget about me. Now, I don't know who who picked this one. I picked this one. You picked this one. I'm so sorry. This one. So, uh, before, I, we, yeah. like, before we go down the rabbit this hole one. this week, let's just briefly mention what it is. Yeah. And then let's talk about what our memories are, yeah. if there were any. So, this was an animated made-for-TV movie that debuted January 16th of 1988. Mm-hmm. For TV syndication, and it has a runtime of 92 minutes. 92 freaking minutes! <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, uh, felt like forever. Yeah, it really did. It was created for Hanna-Barbera as part of the Hanna-Barbera Superstars 10 series, which was a series of 10 made-for-TV movies by Hanna-Barbera, part of the fantastic world of Hanna-Barbera programming block from 87 to 88. They featured Yogi Bear, the Flintstones, the Jetsons, Huckleberry Hound, and Top Cat, and of course, obviously, Scooby Doo. So, just briefly, those movies are Yogi's Great Escape, the Jetsons meet the Flintstones, Scooby Doo meets the Boo Brothers, Yogi Bear and the Magical Flight of the Spruce Goose, Top Cat and the Beverly Hills Cats, Scooby Doo and the Ghoul School, which is where we are today, Rocking with Judy Jetson, the Good, the Bad, and Huckleberry Hound. Yogi and the Invasion of the Space Bears, and Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf. So did you watch this movie? I believe you watched this movie when you were younger. I did. This is why I wanted to watch it. So when I think of my childhood and and Scooby-Doo, or uh, when I think of my childhood and Halloween, I, th- I actually think of Scooby-Doo. Not just the movie that we're watching today, but just kind of Scooby-Doo in general, and the idea of like spooky, scary stuff, and... And everybody's kind of always trying to solve a mystery. And I always felt like Scooby-Doo was, as far as an animated show, a perfect fit for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And growing up, this movie, I, I have a, a lot of memory of watching it. I have memory of liking it. But it's before we decided to watch it, my memory was that I liked it and I didn't know why. And, and I vaguely remember the characters and the settings and the music. And I had a lot of, it was more vague feelings, but I do also remember as a kid thinking that this movie was like four hours long. <laughs> yeah, really. Uh, so what I about, can see did, why you would have felt that way. Did you watch this when you were a kid? I actually did. No, uh, this movie I remember um, probably as a kid and also later on, because this is a movie that I feel like Cartoon Network replayed. 
a bunch. They might um, have. Back yeah. when back when Cartoon Network was young and they were mostly replaying old Hanna Barbera properties. So I feel like I watched it in those early in those early a uh, days of Cartoon Network, but I definitely watched it. I want to say when around the time it came out initially. I think it. Yeah. In and, fact, I think we had it on a VHS. Yeah, and the, as a lot of people did. Yeah. yeah, and and I'm kind of the same way like you. I I don't rem I didn't remember a lot of specifics. I remembered characters. I didn't remember plot lines so much, but I remembered characters and I remembered feelings and I remembered. It, I mean, it, we sort of talked about it when we did the Jetsons, where you don't remember plot lines, but you remember a general feel of the show. Yeah. And yeah. that kind of is what I feel like this movie was, where it, I, I remember being excited to watch it, and I remember being all about it. You know, I mean, it's, it's like you said, Scooby-Doo in and of itself is a sort of, I guess if you could say kids horror genre or kids thriller genre type of show but this was in particular like a halloween show because it dealt with like classic universal movie monsters and the children thereof and yeah and yeah so i remember liking it but i just don't remember a whole lot about it and or why you liked it or, or why i liked it and going back and rewatching it twice you still don't now, know why yeah i still we'll don't talk know about yeah. that part too, uh, i, I still don't know why i why i liked it as a kid and and yeah i don't know it's even more perplexing now. yeah so how did this how did this movie get made so it was produced by hanna-barbera and distributed by warner brothers but that's technically not true it was distributed by warner brothers later when I think when they, Warner Brothers bought Hanna Barbera, yeah, when they got a hold of Hanna Barbera, but originally it was Hanna Barbera that also was distributing it in the beginning. This was written by Glenn Leopold, who worked as a writer for Scooby and Scrappy Doo: The Real Adventures of Johnny Quest, which is the third iteration of the franchise, and I believe it came out in '97. Sounds about right. Yeah, and seasons one through three and six and nine of the Smurfs, third season of Pirates of Dark Water, the Snorks, Super Friends, SWAT Cats, which. I did not realize the actual official term or the official title for SWAT Cats is SWAT Cats, the Radical Squadron. Yes, that was that I, was the height of uh, that was the height of '90s. You know, he's got an attitude. He's radical. He's tubular. He's he'll fuck your shit up. Type of <laughs> type of basically. Uh, yeah. It was uh, so. This movie was produced by uh, William Hanna and Joseph Barbera, the executive producers. Yeah, the yeah. executive producers. It, it was. Uh, we've talked about them before. We car I we did a lot of coverage on them on the Jetsons. I I felt like not going and copy yeah. pasting notes from they're, a few they're weeks the, ago. Yeah, they're they're essentially the godfathers of all your favorite Hanna Barbera or Warner Brothers cartoons. Like, well, not Warner Brothers, but Hanna Barbera, Hanna Barbera, and, and Yogi, Tom, Tom and Jerry. Yeah, Yogi. And Huckleberry Hound and Quick Draw and and those guys Miguel Gorilla yeah, and all exactly. those yeah it was produced and uh, it was it produced was produced by Bob Hathcock and Bernie Wolf Bob yeah. Hathcock is a writer producer and animator and he was an animation director for Exo Squad animator for the Smurfs in sixty two of their episodes which sounds like a lot until you remember I think I mentioned a week or two ago that the Smurfs has like. Almost 300 episodes. Oh, so. that's like Naruto level. Uh, no, not quite. <laughs> it's close. Uh, 
And then he was an animator for Scooby-Doo, uh, Jabberjaw, and the Trollkins, which I don't remember anything about. I don't know. That sounds like something you'd find on Tumblr. Yeah, I don't. Maybe. <laughs> he was a producer for the Jumanji TV series for Goof Troop, Bonkers, a few Darkwing Duck episodes, 31 different DuckTales episodes, and was also a producer for 86 Smurf episodes. Huh. So not only was he an animation director, but he also was a producer for Smurfs. He directed the DuckTales movie. And which I God, I can't wait for us to cover yeah. because it, it's I, I watched it not that long ago. It's it's actually pretty good. And numerous animated shows like the Garbage Pail Kids, the Strawberry Shortcake uh, TV movies, and several episodes of the Boondocks. Yeah, now Bernie Wolf. Uh, he was born in 1911. He got to start at 13 as an inker, working on silent shorts for Paramount. Um, he joined uh, Fleischer Studios, which uh, is the creator of notable characters such as Popeye. Uh, the original Superman cartoons from the 30s, 40s, and uh, Betty Boop. And he's partially responsible for the creation of Betty Boop. Yeah, the, funny, the funny. design character, the design of Betty Boop and the way she looks, it, that was actually Burning Wolf. So, so. Fun, funny, I, I, I don't know why, where I learned this, but it's something I always remember. is that Betty Boop was always was originally supposed to be a dog. Her character was supposed to be a dog. And that's why she has those big hoop earrings and why every other character in the Betty Boop universe is an animal. They're all dogs and cats and weird. But they decided to sexualize her. Yeah. So instead of instead of turning her into like a big That's headed not creepy at all. Yeah. Instead of turning her into a big headed miniskirt wearing dog, they just turned her ears into hoop earrings and made her a. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So in in 1935, he moved to Disney, where he was the animator for Jiminy Cricket in the Pinocchio movie, the Centaurs in Fantasia, and then also. Uh, on the movie Dumbo and later in his career he produced the Jetsons Meet the Flintstones and the TV series Bobby's World and he did a bunch of stuff in the meantime but I just you know this guy's got a pretty long block of work I, I just wanted to did you ever watch like Popeye the Sailor yes. when you were a kid I want us to really do some of the older cartoons the I original was... Popeye is great because I can't remember the name of the guy but the voice actor for Popeye oh the voice actor the yeah, voice actor for Popeye ad-libbed everything so like you can tell when there was an actual line because one popeye's mouth would move and it was like the line was very deliberate so it'd be like it'd be like put her down bluto and it was something like a deliberate and then in the meantime delivery. it was like all the weird rambling yeah. ramblings that he did oh this guy over here is going to hey bluto what are you doing Oh, this guy. And like, all that mumbling was just him ad libbing. Yeah. There's a lot of crazy stuff. I, you don't get really... a lot. You don't get a lot of ad libbing in animation. No, you get, you get Robin not. Williams who did a bunch of ad libbing for for Ferngully uh, for or Ferngully for, and for uh, Aladdin. Aladdin. But you don't typically get a lot of just ad libbing because that means that the animators have to animate that ad libbing if they want to keep it in, which is a lot of work. Yeah. Which for Popeye, they just sort of left him not talking. They said, well, F it, it's the 20s. Could, so. be, could be an internal monologue. It could yeah, be just... Yeah, maybe. Could be. Yeah. Then but, we have, we have uh, Charlie Nichols, who is the uh, director. He was originally a Disney animator who was the lead animator for The Coachman in Pinocchio. Um, he that, did a, that's the villain, by the way, if you don't know too the much. Guy that, the guy that captures him and turns him into a donkey. Yeah. Or he's takes a, him to Pleasure well, Island. He's ta he's, they're capturing children and then selling them off for slave labor as donkeys. What I... Uh, There's it, a lot of weird undertones in Pinocchio. Well, yeah. I, you know what? I, I, I'd i always kind of wanted to mention this someday when we cover Pinocchio, but I'm just going to talk about it now. We can, I'll just mention it again later. Uh, I always thought it was interesting that Pinocchio is fully aware that the coachman 
is transforming children into donkeys and then selling them off for slave labor in the mines. When he becomes human and he ends up back with Geppetto, he takes no steps to rectify the fact that this guy is creating like an army of slave donkey people. It's fine. He got his. He doesn't need anyone. He doesn't need to. Does a coach, fine, did a yeah. coachman really get his? No, no, no. I'm saying Pinocchio oh, got, oh, okay. Pinocchio got yeah. what he wanted, so yeah. that's all that matters. That's true. Yeah, he he uh, back to Nichols. Uh, back to Nichols. He deli- or he uh, did dozens of animated shorts for Disney and directed some of the new adventures of Winnie the Pooh. Um, he also directed the Jetsons, Johnny Quest, the Flintstones, and Charlotte's Web, the uh, the animated movie back in '73. I, I, I that's another one I want us to cover because De- I love that movie too. Depressing ass movie. Super depressing. Don't care. Yeah, and he also directed Hong Kong Fooey, uh, which. Is the la- wasn't it? No, that was was Hong Kong Fui the last role for Scatman Crothers? Oh man, you know I don't know. I don't know. Fun, fun, uh, fun movie fact: the same guy that voiced that voiced Hong Kong Fui, Scatman Crothers, he was also the guy that took the axe in the back in The Shining. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's what that. Yeah. So if you want to know what Hong Kong Fui looks like in real life, yeah. Now. He did also do all three seasons of the Scooby-Doo show, which is not to be confused with the original Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo where are you? Yeah, it's a, that's technically a different show. The Scooby-Doo show was in the in the early 70s. We'll get into that in a minute. Yeah, that, that's a whole discussion that, that we'll get there. Yeah. So the composer for this is Sven, uh, Sven Leibach, who is an Australian-born composer. And he's done a ton of Australian TV and films, so much so that I... I mean, if you go pull up his IMDb or Wikipedia or anything, it's... It's several pages long, but uh, I just wanted to say that from 77 to 94, he lived and worked in L.A. writing for artists like Neil Diamond and Lionel Richie. And then he composed a bunch of music for Hanna-Barbera projects like the Jetsons Meet the Flintstones. So he did have a short span where he was here in the U.S., and that's how he ended up working on this movie. So how unfortunate for him. Yeah. <laughs> so let's you get know what? Well, the music. Is, well, well, yeah, we'll get there. Yeah. So um, really quick before we get into the characters, I just wanted to mention it's something that I looked up right before we started recording. So this this movie is about Scooby Doo, Scooby Shaggy, Scrappy Doo. It's like the, an offshoot. Yeah, of they're, the... they're the main. They're the main characters for that that you're familiar with from the Scooby Doo universe. Now I was saying this at lunch. That Scooby-Doo, to me, is the equivalent of Mega Man, the Mega Man series in uh, video games. Right. Because Mega Man has just so many sequels and spin-offs and... Side projects. And side and projects just, yeah. and derivative properties and all kinds of stuff. So, so many. Scooby-Doo is the same way. If you think that Scooby-Doo... It's been around since 1969. The original Scooby-Doo, Where Are You, came out in 69. And they're still producing new Scooby-Doo movies and TV shows today. So, just as a quick, quick, quick rundown. For Scooby-Doo, the movies from 79 until recently. We have Scooby Goes Hollywood, Scooby Meets the Boo Brothers, Scooby and the the Ghoul School. Scooby-Doo and the Reluctant Werewolf, Scooby-Doo and Arabian Nights, Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, Scooby-Doo and the Witch's Ghost, and the Alien Invaders, and the Cyber Chase. Scooby-Doo just 
the movie that came out, I think, with Freddie Prince Jr. and 2002. Yep. And then there was a sequel to that, I think, in 2006. So it was Freddie yeah. Prince Jr. and Michelle Geller. Yeah. And Sarah Michelle Geller, yeah. Sarah Michelle Geller. Then you yeah. have Scooby Doo and the Legends of the Vampire and the Monsters of Mexico, Scooby Doo 2, Monsters Unleashed, Scooby Doo and the Loch Ness Monster, Aloha Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo and Where's My Mummy, Scooby Doo Pirates Ahoy, Chill Out Scooby Doo, Scooby Doo and the Goblin King and the Samurai Sword, The Mystery Begins, Abracadabra Doo. Camp Scare, Curse of the Lake Monster, Legend of Phantasaur. The, the point is, is there is just way too many. I'm stopping those, you a yeah, third of the way are, through the list. Those are just the movies. And then we have TV series that go from Please 16... Don't. No, I won't. But it'll okay. be... it'll be there's, there's, there's a TV series that has gone from 69 all the way through till present with a few breaks in between. So these characters have been around forever and they have they have rarely i mean the joke used to be that if you turned on your tv at any point at at, at any day at some point during the day you would see an episode of gilligan's island but really scooby-doo can be shown almost in its entirety and you would never run out of episodes or movies or anything yeah kind of yeah that's true it's ridiculous i i would argue that quality at a certain point, runs into diminishing returns. Oh, yeah, that happened around 1975, I think. (laughs) Uh, Well, some would argue that the introduction of Scrappy... Which I think was 79. Perhaps his existence just feels eternal. Yeah, it does. He is Scrappy-Doo the Undying. (laughs) (laughs) Scrappy-Dappy-Doo! Well, now that we've talked about some of the characters, let's talk about who played them. So... if you don't know Scooby Doo, well, you should know if you've been listening to the show because we talked about it on the Jetsons. Actually, mm-hmm. Scooby Doo and Scrappy Doo are both voiced by Don Messick, who is also the voice of Astro on the Jetsons and Boo Boo Bear from Yogi Bear, and like a, a dozen, smattering of other yeah, a dozen characters. other Hanna Barbera cartoon characters. Yeah, I I just uh, I mean. Because, you know, you got the same notes I do. I, I just didn't really feel like doing the same kind of legwork that I did just a few weeks ago for yeah. the same thing. If you want to see some of the other stuff that I put in there, I, you know, you can go look at our show notes online for the Jetsons or for this. So there's I, I put hyperlinks now into all of our notes so you can you click can on check them. check them all out. Yeah. So, so Scooby and Scrappy-Doo are both great Danes. They're talking dogs. Scooby's got that. He's got that speech impediment. Yeah. He does that, but Scrappy-Doo talks normally. He speak, he speaks normally. He doesn't have yeah. the weird dog voice that Scooby does. Yeah, and, and Scrappy is essentially eternally... Uh, he's Cousin Oliver. Mindless. Yeah, though. No, I mean, he never knows... He never seems to know what's going on. Everything seems to happen around him. Oh, you and mean he Scooby? Is no, I'm talking about Scrappy. Scrappy? Yeah, so if you watch, there's a lot of times where something happens and Scrappy just kind of... It's almost like he doesn't understand that he lives in the same world as everybody else. Mm-hmm. It's oh, like he's, things, delu- he's absolutely delusional. Like things happen and then he he does not realize how they happen and then he just kind of goes with it. Yeah, he's... He, he's I find him to be just so irritating. Well, so his, and apparently I'm not alone. So and the, I feel the, very vindicated <laughs> about that. I do. I feel very vindicated that, that the rest of the world hates Scrappy-Doo as much as I apparently hated Scrappy-Doo. Well, they, they hated him enough in the, uh, the live action movie that they made him the villain they made him the villain of the movie spoiler sean i never saw it no uh, nobody nobody saw it but but uh <laughs> somebody some, saw it because they made a second one well they can make a, sequ- a sequel to anything uh the the 
The problem with Scrappy as a character, not to get too into it, is that he is he is 100% a Mary Sue, and he's an obnoxious addition that was only to to garner uh, ratings. That was the original ploy. That was why I called him Which cousin. is why it's a Cousin Oliver, yeah, which I think we talked about uh, a while back. Yeah, he's literally, that's what he was. He was, a, he was an add-on character that was designed to help the failing ratings in 79 because the show was in danger of being canceled because of falling ratings. It had been on the air for 10 years. And the it, it's a weird phenomenon. Everybody pretty much from the get-go hated Scrappy. But they kept watching, and ratings went up. So it, he served his purpose. He actually got people to start watching, and I don't know if it was hate watching or what. But more people started watching Scooby Doo when they introduced Scrappy than were before. It makes yeah. no sense. Now, if if you don't know what a Mary Sue is, I, I think we talked it as I mentioned just a second ago. We did talk about it was a couple months back. But a Mary Sue, Mary Sue, it, it's it's a name for a character created by a woman named Paula Smith in 1973. She did a parody story of uh, uh, on Star Trek called A Trekkie's Tale, and in this story, she had this young lieutenant named Mary Sue who was called the youngest lieutenant in the fleet, only 15 and a half years old. And she is like perfect in every way and the best at everything in a way that just kind of like made her irritating and uninteresting. Yeah. And so Mary Sue's, whether it's male or female, because it could be a male or female character that that could be a Mary Sue is essentially a character that is uh, hyper strong and smart and, and overly capable at everything and nothing bad ever happens to them. They always avoid every pitfall. And they come they, out on top. They come out on top and have the world's greatest luck. And they're they're boring to watch. You don't if you have a Mary Sue in a if 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 anybody out there is writing a script for something, and you, that sounds like a character that you've written, delete them, start over because Mary Sues are not interesting. Well, what's funny about what's funny about Mary Sue is a classic example of a Mary Sue is Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Luke, Luke Skywalker, Skywalker is an absolute Mary one, he's Sue. He's 100% a Mary Sue. He's a character where every good, I mean, aside from the murder of his uncle and aunt, everything else that happens to him throughout the story is essentially good stuff. He, he He's just, he's got the luck of the main character where he gets superpowers and he's the best pilot and he is... Uh, the best at the force. Yeah, he, he learns even losing a super hand, fast. he's still better at sword, at uh, lightsaber dueling than his dad. And yeah, all, who's I mean, supposed to be one of the best lightsaber duelists of all time? And 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 yeah, Luke Skywalker is a whole. Yeah, deep, he, I mean, no. Ask any kid, anybody who grew up watching Star Wars, anybody who's essentially forty five or under. Luke Skywalker is who you wanted to be when you were five. And then when you got to hit puberty, you wanted to be Han Solo. And yeah, then that right. never changed. Yeah. That never changed. Nobody at like 40 goes, you know, I really wish I could be Luke Skywalker because he's boring. Yeah. He's a boring character. But Han Solo is a S- badass. Forever. Superman is tends to be a Mary Sue a lot because he has bad writers. Yeah, that's true too. Yes. Yeah. So let's move on from yeah. talking about Mary Sue's. The yeah. the next let's talk, thing, about, let's talk about scary Sue's. We got talk, Shaggy. Oh yeah. So Shaggy is now I put this in the notes because I didn't know this until building these notes. Shaggy in the Scooby Doo franchise, apparently his full name is Norville Rogers. Mm-hmm. I did not know that. That's a really weird name. They do say Shaggy Rogers in this, but I didn't realize his first name was Norville, and he's voiced by Casey Kasem. 
Now, Casey Kasem is a famous radio personality and a voice actor, and he did Shaggy from 69 to 97, and then again from 02 to 09, and he was a host of the American Top 40 show, and he voiced Peter Cottontail for the Rankin and Bass production of the same name, and if you pay attention, he has a quick cameo in the Ghostbusters movie in 1984, and he voiced Mark in Battle of the Planets. Now back to the countdown, that's what he does. Yeah. He does a quick, he is a voice cameo. Yeah, voice cameo, but he's in it. The boys in gray, what does he say? What does he say? The boys in gray battled a pretty pesky poltergeist and then danced the night away with the with the ladies of the night or something like that. Now yeah, on with I, the countdown. Your your like Ghostbuster <laughs> like <laughs> like memorization is always impressive. Uh, he he voiced Mark in Battle of the Planets, which was the dubbed adaptation of the Japanese Gotcha Man series. And apparently, he did voice work for a cartoon show I now feel compelled to watch called The Gary Coleman Show. And I just put in, I had never heard of this before, <laughs> and I put in the series description. The series features Gary Coleman as the voice of Andy LeBeau, an apprentice angel who was dispatched back to Earth to earn his wings by helping others. The character of Andy LeBeau was a spinoff character from Coleman's 82 made-for-TV movie, The Kid with the Broken Halo. In each episode, Andy was dispatched to help a child in need and resolve his problem. The antagonist in each episode was Hornswoggle, who tried to make Andy's mission more difficult, usually by getting him to make the wrong choice or by otherwise complicating the mission. It was up to Andy to correct whatever mistakes he made and foil Hornswoggle's plans. Fuck me, I need to watch this right now. I need to do it. I need no, it. That show, I've, I've seen clips of that show. I've, I've never actually watched a whole episode. Oh, God. So, yeah, apparently he did voice work for that show. I mean, he's done a bunch of other stuff, but I saw that and I just now, like... Let me let me ask you. Okay. Let me ask you. Do you know what show Scooby-Doo the characters were based on? I learned this a little bit ago, and it was a show that I'd never heard of. Because it was a show that came out, I want to say, in like 58. Please share with the class, Sean. The show, the characters from the show are all largely drawn. The characters of Fred... Velma, Shaggy, Daphne, those characters are all drawn from characters in the show The Many Loves of Dolby Gills. Of Dolby Gills. Dobby Gills? D-O-B-I-E Gills. That show originally starred Bob Denver as a character named W.W. And he was Shaggy. His character, he was a beatnik-like layabout. And they designed Shaggy's character on him. There was a character named Kelly that was like the sort of buxom babe who became Daphne. Uh, there was um, a character named Ronnie who it's was Fred. Fred. And then there was a character named Linda who was essentially Velma. They took characters from this. It was a live action show that they took these characters from. And they would from, solve they, mysteries? No, no, no. It was like a, it was sort of a teen uh like a like a teen oh it's like a teen heartthrob like yeah, a imagine, sitcom yeah imagine if they it's like, like Saved by the Bell yeah or like if they took Archie comics and like turned it into a live action show okay it was sort of something like that and they they took those characters and they essentially and they turned said, let's them, put them into a mystery they, show they animated them it largely made them look the same and they put him in and made Scooby Doo. That's nuts. How random is that? But that's why that I'm bringing up Shaggy. Shaggy's uh, character was originally based off of a character that Bob Denver played in like 1959 or 60 or whatever that's, that show came that's out. That's crazy. I had no idea. Yeah. So those are the three that we get. We get Shaggy, Scooby, and Scrappy, and that's it. We don't get any more of the Mystery Inc. team. They're not important, apparently. Yeah. Uh, now, 
Let's to, let's talk about the story because that'll introduce the other characters. Okay. So we'll give a brief overview of the story. So what happens is Shaggy takes a job as as random as this is, Shaggy takes a job as a gym coach, a, a physical No, no, no. Let's 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 call it for what it is. Shaggy takes a job. A transient and his two dogs who live in a van take a job as the new Coach at an all-girls school. Yeah, it's like a reform. Uh, I I I think that that the main plot point of how Shaggy gets here is very problematic at best. Yeah, and that that's just that's literally the beginning of the epi- uh, the beginning of the movie. It starts with them going to the new school. So just in broad strokes, Shaggy is hired at this at this girls' school. For ghouls. For ghouls. It's a ghoul school. So he gets hired there to be the new uh, coach. And there are two subplots in this episode or in this movie. There's one involving the rival school that's next door, which is a military academy, Camp Calloway or Calloway Military School. And the, the volleyball game that they play every year. That's why he was hired. To, that's why Shaggy was hired to train the girls to beat the other guys in volleyball. And then there is another plot that develops with a witch, a spider witch, who wants to capture the ghouls, girls, and use them to take over the world. That's broad stroke. So yes. you've got you've got Grimwood Academy. For and girls. honestly, it was yeah. yeah. This should have been split into two forty-five minute specials. Yeah. That dealt with the same thing, but they it's smushed them together. They smushed them together in one movie. So you plus have, commercials that meant that this took at least two, two hours. hours. Yeah, this was. A, this, this should have been. A, a they should have been two separate forty-five minute shows. Yeah, but but yeah. So, so you've got the Grimwood girls that are led by Miss Grimwood, who is played by Glennis Johns. Is she still alive? It, I think she's still alive as of the recording of this. As episode. of the recording of this, she is still alive, but she retired from acting because her birthday is October fifth, and she's uh, she turns ninety four this year. So as of this recording, she has just turned ninety four, or she's dead. So, <laughs> no, hopefully she's still yeah. alive. Uh, but she is an award-winning actress and singer, having won a Tony for her role in A Little Night Musical. Now, A Little Night Musical is not the first thing that she became uh, super famous for, but it is one of the things she's famous for. Because in A Little Night Musical, if you don't know too much about musical theater, this musical is where the song Send in the Clowns comes from. And it was actually written specifically for her in mind to sing it. Now... I would argue that her most famous role was as Winifred Banks, the mom from Mary Poppins, which came out uh, before that. Yeah. And Joy and I, my, my wife and I, both recognized her voice immediately because we watch Mary Poppins pretty regularly at our house. Our kid loves Mary Poppins. And to be frank, I love Mary Poppins. You know, what? I love Mary Poppins and I can watch it at any time. Mary Poppins was my dad's favorite Disney movie. And so I watched it a lot as a kid, and so my kid watches it too. And her voice is super iconic. And the song that she sings in Mary Poppins, Sister Suffragette, was also written specifically for her to sing. Now her last role, because you all got to have a stinker out there somewhere, is Grandma Gallagher in the 1999 Dumpster Fire Superstar. (laughs) Did you ever see Superstar? No, the movie, no. I was really not a big fan of Molly Shannon. And I hated that sketch. I, 
you know, I hate awkward humor, and I felt that that entire sketch and that entire character was based around awkward humor, and I just could not stand it. Yeah, Drove she, me her crazy. her sense of humor is like very much a different thing. I I, I feel like it. It was either Molly Shannon or Sherry O'Terry. You, you had you liked one or the other, but you didn't necessarily like both because yeah. her sense of humor was like totally different. I felt like yeah. like Sherry O'Terry was like not the awkward humor, but Molly Shannon definitely was. Yeah, Molly yeah. Shannon was awkward. Sherry O'Terry was like wow, wow crazy. Humor. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of like both of them, but uh, but for different reasons. So yeah. the next person is Matches, who is her pet dragon, the the Miss Grimwood's pet dragon. And matches, of course, because it is an animal, is Frank Welker. Yeah, and he he pretty much does a uh, the same voice that he uses for Slimer for the most part. Mostly, yeah, with a, a few extra growls. Yeah, but, yeah, it's mostly growling and noises. He doesn't really vocalize anything. Yeah. Now the next character is extremely problematic for me. <laughs> yeah, there's. This character, so the next character is Sibyl- Drac- Dracula's daughter, yeah, Sibylla Dracula. So Sibylla Dracula is played by Susan Blue, who is a voice actor and a, a, a director, and a casting director. She is most famous for the voice of R.C. in the OG Transformers movie and the third and fourth seasons of Transformers. But yeah, she's also think- the voice of Stormer yeah. from Gem. Yeah, and, and Lindsay Pierce. Yeah. But Sean and I last talked about her over on the Saturday Morning Cartoon Boom show when we went over there and watched the Toxic Crusaders show. Yeah. Because she was the voice of Mona. Toxie's girlfriend. We're the Toxic Crusaders. We're the Toxic Crusaders. We're the Toxic Crusaders. Oh, that we're pretty sure Yeah, so the problem with Sabella... The problem with Sibylla is all these girls, this is a, like a reform school They're for girls. They're supposed to be like 10, 11 at yeah, the I'm, oldest. I'm guessing, yeah, because you have you have one character who we'll talk about in a second, Tannis. Probably five. Five or six. That go, and then they go all the way up to Elsa Frankentine, who is probably, probably 13. Maybe, so. maybe. Maybe. Maybe 12. Yeah, so you have these girls that are in this gamut. But and none of the above are supposed to be in puberty. No, you're not so. supposed to. Rule number one people out there in Hollywood don't sexualize children. So the problem with Sabella is Sabella is highly sexualized. The way that the way that uh, Susan Blue does her character's voice. Well, and it, the way she's drawn also. The way that she's drawn and the way that that Susan Blue does her voice is a very sensual type of delivery. Anything you say, Colonel Calloway. Huh? Where did you come from, young lady? Uh, up there. Miss Grimwood said to make yourself comfortable. She'll be down as soon as she wraps things up. <laughs> Everything. Oh, I love it. Fantastic. Fantastic. But it's but it's more like a deeper. It's like fantastic. Oh, Elsa. That's fantastic and she's just she's hypersexualized for a character that's supposed to be like 10 or 11 she wears a dress that has a slit up to the knee so you see leg not that you don't see leg from the other ones but it's she's wearing like but a, it's a sexualized it, it's like an evening gown essentially that she's wearing and i get i, I get sort of that dracula is a all, sensual character yeah he's in des- general he's designed and depicted as 
a sensual character who is appealing and alluring and can draw women into him and men sometimes it can draw these people into him using that allure and i guess it would make sense that his daughter would have that same sort of demeanor and persona but seeing that in like a 10 or 11 year old girl is icky she's never overtly sexual but just the way that yeah you get this sort of icky feeling when you're when you're watching her she's not out there like like, here's a good example of how to do a dracula daughter and not make her hypersexualized hotel transylvania yeah yeah not sexualized you don't have to sexualize a 10 year old girl it's creepy. I'm sorry. It's creepy. That alone, like, puts a kibosh on this movie for me. But, yeah, so... But, yeah, so Susan Blue is our most po- problematic character, Sibella. Now, the next character is Elsa Frankenstein. Yeah, for some reason. For some reason, even not- though Frankenstein is, or Frankenstein is part of... Uh, is, is a book... Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is not a book that is problematic for copyright. So yeah, it's, it's public it's, domain. It's public domain. And why they made it Frankenstein, my only guess is they thought it would be creative or inventive because the character is Elsa Frankenstein. And then as they continue to write the script, they're like, oh, her dad comes in. We'll, we'll just call him Mr. Frankenstein, which is stupid. It makes no sense. Yeah. But she's played by uh, Pat Music who has done a bunch of TV and film work, voice work. She did shows like DuckTales, Space Cats, and The Tick. Uh, She was the voice of Mona Lisa. That was the turtle, the female turtle, the weird female turtle on Ninja Turtles. And was Harold on Rugrats. That was a character that came a little bit later in the series. Yeah. And Uh, he was also on the uh, the, the older uh, Rugrats show when they were all uh, teens. Yeah, all grown up. She was Tony in American Tale. Now, was that the guy that that fell for the guy? The, yeah, the mouse yes, that fell for his sister. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tony. Yeah, and Tony uh, apparently uh, she did the voice of Tony in the third and fourth American Tale movies, which I didn't know existed until we started doing the show. Yeah, those movies are an American Tale, The Treasure of Manhattan Island. Is and- it an A bomb? <laughs> no that'd be the manhattan project oh, uh, and oh, then there is an american tale the mystery of the night monster oh so, the night and, monster that's what i <laughs> yeah oh, well, that's, that, we're in the right place for that what was so. what was fievel's sister's name i don't know because i wanted to make a joke about hey Minnie, <laughs> let me show you my night monster because oh, he was supposed to be he was supposed to be this brooklyn kid oh, this that's... brooklyn kid from from turn of the century new york that is the the cringiest thing i've heard today not in general just today oh. i've heard worse <laughs> yeah so then we uh then we come to uh winnie winifred winifred werewolf she is the uh, daughter of the werewolf the original werewolf she has a kind of growly voice and she yeah did... she's like this gee winnie what's that something for my papa scrappy i made it in arts and crafts class she is voiced by Marilyn Schreffler, who died very shortly after this came out and at a fairly young age, like in her 40s. And her longest role was as Brenda from Captain Caveman. But she also did voice work for the Jetsons and Heathcliff, GoBots and Pole Position. And uh, I, I just want to put pole position on there because the intro for pole position is the <laughs> shit. 
Yeah. It's so good. So Phantasma was I done would, by Russie Taylor. I would have to say that Phantasma is the most annoying character. Her voice is, yeah. She's high pitched and she laughs a lot. <laughs> like uh, all the time. Yeah. Just constantly. Her her I would say the vast majority of her vocalization is laughter. Yeah. She, and, uh, she's played by Russie Taylor, yes. who is the current voice of Minnie Mouse and has been since 86. Um, she was uh, also voiced Huey, Dewey, and Louie and Webby in the original DuckTales. She got married to Wayne Allwine, who is the long, longest running voice of Mickey Mouse. So the voice of Mickey and Minnie, yeah, voice she, actors. We, we mentioned that in the uh, Mickey's, the, Christmas, Mickey's Carol. Christmas Carol. They, yeah. they, uh, they got together, made some... So it was Mickey and Minnie who were married, and then he, he sadly passed away in 2009. But... Yeah, she. Uh, uh, interesting ab- about Rusty Taylor is she is also the voice of Uter and Martin from The Simpsons, which is, is kind of funny. She was also the original voice of Strawberry Shortcake back in the 1980s TV specials. I, I think that might be something we should cover at some point. Maybe. I've heard that that's a dumpster <laughs> fire. So she was named a Disney legend along with her deceased husband back in 2008. Yeah, the um, last. So the last character for the the Grimwood girls. girls is Tannis. Now Tannis is the daughter of the mummy and she is her character is want to make mummy jokes. And she's about 5 or 6. Yeah, she's yeah, she's, she's the youngest like a little one. little girl. She's played by Pat Maloney and Pat Maloney was just 3 foot 11 inches tall and she's most famous for her role as Lumpy in the Star Wars holiday special. Lumpy by the way was Chewbacca's son in the holiday special and then they had once that happened, then they had to go into the EU and make Lumpy a part of canon. So, uh, and it, oh, I cannot believe you have never seen that. I've seen, dumpster. no, I've, you've not I've seen, seen it. I've seen that part with Ugh. Lumpy. A fun, fun Chewbacca story, by the way. I just recently went to Disneyland and I am a bearded, I am a follicled individual and it's been getting bigger and poofier as the uh, weeks and months you're, have gone on. You're also a giant Viking. Yeah. So, so, so Kathy and like I. Like six four. Yeah. Yeah. So Kathy and I went to Disneyland. And I uh, we started going on some stuff because I hadn't been to Disneyland in probably two years. So we started. Which is a long time out here. Yeah. So we started doing a bunch of stuff that I hadn't done so far. We went on a couple rides that I hadn't been on that had opened in the last couple of years that I hadn't been on. And there is a whole Star Wars prop area in Tomorrowland right now. There, yeah, you, it's been there for a couple of years. Yeah, and I, I'd never been there. So we go in there, and they've all the, they have a bunch of different props from that the was movie. where they used to have interventions. Exactly. Yeah, so and before interventions, it was it w- the some revolving thing. That's where that's isn't yeah, that where they, a girl they, got killed. Yeah, yeah, she got trapped. But what it was between, between rotating. Yeah, walls. so so it's like the the building is it's like a central round building. And then the outside of the building rotates around it. Yeah. And then and then there's like a shell of that on the outside of that. But yeah. the the seats were a part of that rotating thing and she she got out and she got crushed. Yeah, if you've ever been to Disneyland, it's right next to Atopia and the, the train station. That's yeah, right and Pizza Port. Yeah. So when we went there, Kathy's like, You wanna go meet Chewbacca? Because apparently that's a thing you do there. They have they have Chewbacca and Kylo Ren and someone else. And before before episode seven they they had I think Darth Vader. Yeah. So we went and we went and took some pictures with Chewbacca and Chewbacca lost it at my beard. He looked at me 
and he started fingering my beard and then oh, he nu- so, too many jokes yeah. wait and so he stop, started can't. and he started nuzzling up and he wanted just a picture with me and he pushed kathy out of the picture was, fingering your beard sean yeah he did he was up there and he was like playing with my beard with his fingers yeah he was yeah so mm. anyway back to patty maloney uh she, she was, was a puppeteer for the tale uh tales of the crypt she she actually was the person who worked the crypt keeper which is kind of cool she's yeah. tiny at three foot eleven though yeah, I, is, I still that's that's, that's teeny weeny itty bitty so the other characters that we have in the movie are the Callaway cadets. So right next to the school is this military school yeah. called Cal- Callaway and, Military. And we'll just we'll run through some of these guys. Some of these guys are pretty notable. Uh, we have Colonel Callaway, who's played by Ronnie Shell. And he is most notably the voice of Duke in the uh, 1960s series Gomer Pyle, USMC, I think. Yeah. And he had a bunch of acting roles from like Happy Days to Charlie's Angels to... Mr. Belvedere, uh, MASH, and he did a bunch of voice acting work that went from Pound Puppies to Snorks to DuckTales, the Rodney Dangerfield film, Rover Dangerfield. Oh, Rover. It's, uh, that's an animated movie. I know it is. So we could technically cover it. It is. Now, Tug Roper is done by Scott Menville, best known as Robin from Teen Titans, and then later on Teen Titans Go!, that show is hilarious to me. And I know that there's a lot of people upset because the original Teen Titans is awesome. And then they said, eh, F it, let's just do crazy shit. Yeah. But I like them both. I don't care. He's <laughs> the voice of Mati on Captain Planet and the Planeteers. Yeah. In, in this movie, he was born, I think, in 70. And this movie came... No, he was born in like 70-something. And this movie came out in in uh, 88. But I think it went into production in like 86 or 87 80, it went I in think. production in 87 so he was like he's born in 71 so, so 71 so he was like 15 when this movie came out or when this movie went into production yeah, something like that and next, if you hear his voice oh yeah you, you hear his voice in everything he's he's got so many roles under his belt you hear his voice in one thing and you hear him everywhere the first skill is in ditching the colonel and finding a dry way out of the swamp Yes, and one of the next shows that I wanted to maybe just mention just before we move on that he's the voice of Johnny Quest from the New Adventures of Johnny Quest, the yeah. one in the in, in the nineties, mm-hmm. and maybe maybe we'll do Johnny Quest. We've waffled on doing Johnny Quest several times do, now, do. so. Do, 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 do. So problematic with Haji. Oh, God. Well, at least in the new one, he doesn't wear a turban the whole time. Yeah, well, that's not like it makes it any better. Yeah. Then so, we, when we have a character named Miguel, who is done by Aaron Lore, and he was a Disney actor who was in the Mighty Ducks and Newsies. He was uh, Dean in Mighty Ducks and Mush from the Newsies. And I think we mentioned him when we covered a Goofy movie because he's the singing voice of Max. Because Max actually had two voices. It yeah. was the regular acting voice... Which we mentioned, and then the the singing voice. So Jamal Williams is the uh, next character, and he is voiced by Bumper Robinson, and acted in shows like Punky Brewster, the uh, the Jeffersons, Family Matters, DS Nine, uh, Sister Sister, and in A Different World, which is another show that I love. He was Dorian, uh, Dorian Haywood. And he's actually the voice of the little brother in Batman Beyond. And he did like Futurama and Teen Titans and, and a bunch of stuff. But we don't need yeah. to, to to go into that. Now, the, the next character is, is arguably the most famous. Well, and, and for me. Would, and would have probably been the most famous, at least of the child actors, would have been the most famous at the time that this movie went into production and probably when the movie came out. Yes, but I would say so. And he was in... 
Well, the character, the yeah. character's name is Grunt, and he is the fat guy yeah. in the in the group, and he's played by Jeff Cohen. And if you don't know who Jeff Cohen is, you better go start doing the truffle shuffle. Yes, he, Jeff Cohen made the truffle shuffle famous as in his portrayal as uh, Chunk in uh, the 1985 movie The Goonies, which is. One of the greatest kids' movies of all time. I don't care what anyone says. No doubt. Yeah, no he, doubt. He uh, he grew up, lost his chunk weight, and has become a high-powered lawyer in L.A. Yeah, I, I, he has like a like a like a firm or something that it's for child actors, isn't it? It's yeah, it's for actors, and, and he's been featured several times. He's, he's kind of a it's kind of a big deal. So, yeah. and the last character in the Callaway Cadets. Is a character named Baxter, who is played by Remy Abergenoy. And I hope I'm saying that right, because he played a character, or his father played a character in uh, one of my favorite Star Trek, Star yes. Trek Deep Space Nine. He did. He's Odo. Yeah, his father is Odo. Rene Abergenoy. Yeah, Rene was was Odo in, in DS9 from 93 to 99. Yeah. Remy is his son. And and Remy also has done other work. Uh, he was on Mad. He was Doctor Emerson on Mad Men and uh, Mister Albin in Weeds. So if you've seen those and you've you've seen him before too, the uh, the villain. Let's uh, let's really quickly run through that. This Revolta, who is a hundred percent unnecessary, but she's in here and she's done by Ruda Lee, and she is a famous Canadian actress, best known as the Bride Ruth in the musical Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, and she did a bunch of TV and film work. Next character is the Creeper, the Grim Creeper. Voice Grim by... Creeper is essentially a giant potato. He's yeah. literally like a giant potato. Yeah. So if you can count a potato, then then here you go. There you go. <laughs> He's voiced by Andre Stoichka, best known as Al from Winnie the Pooh. He's actually the second person to take on the role uh, after Hal Smith. So he was also the druid in the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy and the the Horse Starlight in in all of the Rainbow Bright stuff. Yeah, there was one other mon- there was one other monster villain, and it's minor, minor, minor monster, the mirror monster, it's which Shaggy is, and and it's voiced by Casey Kasem. Yeah, so of course, let's let's talk. There's about- some miscellaneous characters we don't need to get into. Yeah, it's just like the parents and and uh, animal sounds. So, so let's let's talk about this movie. So this movie, I have to say that the the most troubling thing from this movie for me at the very beginning, like when I'm, when you're thinking about this movie is. What you were talking about is you have a you have a uh, transient man who lives in a van with his two dogs who's now going to teach who is in charge of the instruction something of children not necessarily it doesn't even have to be like the monster children and this is in the 1980s when doing a background check was a lot harder doing a background check could be uh, subverted by just slipping someone twenty bucks basically yeah the whole premise is farcical on its face is because you have this school. That is a girls like reform school just by itself. And Shaggy seems to be the only faculty member of it. He gets hired on by Miss Grimwood, who is like the headmistress of the school, which would be like the principal, essentially. And the only other adult in the school besides Miss Grimwood is Shaggy. And he is the coach. He is the athletics director, I guess. Otherwise, it's it's an empty house. It's an empty house. It's a giant empty house for five girls, one disembodied hand and a dragon <laughs> a small dragon and, and a woman who looks like eliza minnelli ripoff yeah she does so he's there like the whole premise is just silly on its face i mean it's a cartoon so like whatever the biggest problem with this this entire movie it is it is so boring it is so boring 
And I haven't gone back and watched a whole lot of old Scooby-Doo episodes, but it makes me think that all the old Scooby-Doo episodes are really boring, too. They could be. I don't know. I haven't gone back and watched an old Scooby-Doo episode in, I don't know, 20 years? Yeah. So it's it's very possible it could be boring. I So normally, uh, Sean watches these the day of... And I usually watch mostly them because I'm lazy. Mostly, well, <laughs> and then I usually because I I've got a kid and and stuff to try and balance. I I usually watch this earlier in the week. So what happened this week is Sean and I uh, Sean had a bachelor party last weekend, and so we were down in San Diego for the weekend for for the long holiday weekend. And then I came home and I had family in town, and so I just kind of put off watching it until like Thursday. And I threw it on TV, and I started watching it, and then, then I went, oh, crap, i got to cook dinner. So I got to watch, like, the first five minutes of it, and then I had to walk away. So I didn't get to finish watching it. In the meantime, Sean actually watched it early, which, like, never happens. And so then I didn't get a chance to watch it until today when we watched it together. Now, I usually take two to four pages of notes on my own for whatever we're watching, in addition to what I do for the show. And this week, I got about 15 minutes into taking notes, and I just started to fall asleep. He did. He fell asleep at one point. <laughs> I full on fell, I dozed off for a good two or three minutes, and I woke up, and I felt like I missed nothing. Uh, you know, and I have to hand it, I have to hand it to uh, the direct, or the writer, Glenn Leopold. This movie is so chock full of garbage puns. Like, I'm, oh my God. I'm the type of guy that likes a good dad joke. I'm the type of guy that... Maybe doesn't groan at every pun that I hear. No, when, you usually don't. You usually relish them. Yeah. So, but when you hear Sabella, when you hear Sabella say "fantastic" a, a literally twenty-five times in the movie, when you hear her make jokes about how the moat is as warm as bat water, not uh-huh. bath water, bat water, and when you have the when you have the uh, Every the, time the, the, you have Tannis talking about how her mummy taught her how to do something and how she wants to get a trophy for her mummy case. And you have Winnie using the word howl left and right. Like, wow, oh, that's a howling good time. And oh, my God. It's like it's like there was a list on the wall and he had to check off every time he did it. Like, we need to have at least like, this many. There's puns. a character interaction. And so which one of these puns will we use? Toss a dartboard up. Oh, we're going to use fantastic again. It's so it's so like there there is potential. There's always potential for something good to happen. But this it seems like the writer and and the maybe the directors even took every chance that they could to fuck it up to make a bad joke to make a bad pun uh-huh. to make a yeah. to make an unnecessary story adjustment like like you were saying earlier this movie was about forty five minutes too long it was an hour and a friggin half well the problem is is there's two there's two completely separate storylines there is the Shaggy's new to the school. He comes in, and the girls have a competition. A that volleyball they do game with the other school. With the other school. Yeah, that's that's story A. That's story A. Story B is that there is in a nearby castle a evil spider woman who wants to take over the world by taking the world's most infamous monsters' children and then enslaving them and using them to do her bidding. And 
And so there's two completely different plot lines. They should have just split this in half. Or you know, done what? two separate shows. Then it would have been like continuity. Then it would have been like something that's reoccurring. And then you could have reused these characters again. So you know what you do in this instance? And lots of shows do this. They have an A story and a B story and sometimes a C story. So, Which I don't have a problem with. But what but... happens with those is though that A story and the B story happens concurrently. And that's not what happened here. You have some characters that are dealing with the A story and some characters that are dealing with the B story. And then the they char- bounce back and forth. They'll bounce back and forth. And sometimes the characters between the two stories will interact. And both stories are largely resolved by the end of the episode. And people do that in shows. Writers do that in shows that are about an hour long. Star Trek did it all the time. Star Trek Next Generation did it all the freaking time there was there was a story involving data and Jordy, and then there was a story involving something Ry- bigger Riker and Picard and those two stories were happening concurrently and you didn't you didn't have to do the entire Riker Picard story and then end it and then start up the Jordy data story right or you had like a main plot story and then a subplot and then a subplot and i'm i get it i i completely understand that concept i my problem is that they don't blend them here. They so, don't. So they it's do, literally one story, and they, then it comes to completion, and well, then a new. They story. introduce the spider chick uh, during the. I think during the volleyball game, just to be like, see, look, we're gonna work in two stories, and then and then they, it goes away, and then they finish up the volleyball game, and then it kind of goes into the next thing. It's unnecessary they should have just done one and then the other and then like uh this is wild and crazy the volleyball part fine the later story part fine but they're both fine separate but so there's a whole middle part that sets up the tension for the later part with revolta where they meet all of the girls fathers only fathers not mothers only fathers and the after they have their little introduction, then the then the Dracula pulls them aside, which starts a chain reaction with all of them pulling them aside, saying, "Look, if you do anything that gets my daughter, my my precious, precious little whatever, yeah, my precious little flower, you do anything that endangers her, I will fucking kill you." Is essentially what all the monsters tell Shaggy. Uh, like, uh, see you next Halloween. In the meantime, I want you to take good care of my little Sibella. Like, you can count on us, Count? Good, because if anything happens to her, it will be a bad day for you. Uh, that goes for Winnie, too. <laughs> Elsa's my pride and joy. Don't let me down. Take care of Tannis and her friends, or you're going to meet a very mad mummy. Not to mention a foul-tempered phantom. So that sets up the the impetus for him to go and try and save them when they get kidnapped by right, Revolta. Because otherwise he'd have no motivation. Yeah, he would have been like, peace. Leave. Yeah, peace, I'm out. Yeah, by the way... I have to say that the idea of all those monsters having sex with something and then producing children is hilarious to me, especially, especially the mummy. The, no, the ghost. Oh, how does a ghost have sex? Ghost I mean, wieners, Sean. I mean, ghost I've, wieners. I've seen it. I've seen it in Ghostbusters when Ray gets the Phantom BJ. Yeah, but 
but that was a phantom BJ. That wasn't phantom copulation. So how the fuck did I don't want to think about it. You've got it. Dracula who bedded down with, I'm guessing, Mina, right? That's his, that's his like, wife in the... So you have Dracula and Mina, and you have Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein, but in the Bride of Frankenstein, she was repulsed by him, and she she hated him. Yeah. So then you have you have the mummy who produced another mummy child, which that's also weird, too. So you or Frank- what that means is, is when they were alive, she was a real person, and then he murdered his daughter and, and mummified her. Well, a lot of times when... Because uh, that's possible. Yeah, a lot of times when pharaohs died, they took their whole family and their entire household with them. With Yeah, they said, all right, that's it, you're all dying, come into the cave. Yeah, it's really... It really uh, <laughs> It's really or it the really... werewolf. Uh, think about how that copulation happened. Yeah. Oh, that's the other thing too with the <laughs> werewolf. So Winnie is a werewolf who is a werewolf a hundred percent of the time. She doesn't change. Yeah, and, so, and and then Papa Werewolf is the same thing. Yeah, but he makes the point to say that the moon is going away, so he has to go away. But she, yeah, but she stays werewolf all the time, which means that means Papa Werewolf made it with like a, a just a wolf. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> I'm just thinking of like. I'm just thinking of like a wolf man just going going <laughs> no, just, going to town on just like a random wolf and how, just how like freaked balls out deep in a pug. <laughs> how freaked out that the wolf was gonna like the fuck? Yeah, no, just uh, we don't have to think about any of this. Oh, uh, but that no, I mean, there the the story itself has so much potential. And it was so poorly executed. It's just chock and full I would, of puns. I would argue the way that the characters, except for the sexualization of of Dracula's daughter, uh, Sabella, except for that, I liked the character design uh, by and large. Mm-hmm. It, like fits within the world of Scooby Doo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it fits for what they were doing. I think the problem is one scrappy. Scrappy is a big problem. But he's like always a- he's almost like a non-entity in this. Like he's there, but he's like a side character that doesn't get a ton of screen good, time. Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What little screen time he has is irritating. But yeah, so he's not on there very much. But I, like I don't know. This is not a story that I think could work today because one, kids today don't know who the who the hell Scooby Doo is. You know what I? I you know what I? I well, yeah. No, they do. They no, do. No, no. Because think about it, this is 2017. The last Scooby Doo of, of substance was 2006 live action. So any kid who's like 10 years old, Scooby Doo would would be a non-element for them. There's a show called Be Cool Scooby Doo that's been in production since 2015 to present. Where? Where? I'm guessing uh, Cartoon Network. Maybe I've never heard of it. That's not to say it doesn't exist, but. Yeah, I mean, what what the kid what what the younger kids are watching today is things like yeah, it's not Miles Scooby-Doo. from Tomorrowland and Elena of Avalor and Sophia and Lion Guard. It's on Boomerang. Okay, yeah, so like all those Disney shows, and then and then like <laughs> Powerpuff Girls. Matthew and... Lillard plays Shaggy. Oh, and yeah, Frank that's... Welker is taking over as Scooby. All right, well, it, it is an animal, so I guess it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, the 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 story, the concept has potential. The problem is, is, the writing was terrible. The writing is awful, and you don't have to have great writing for a kids show. You don't, but you have to put a little tiny bit of effort. Well, into here's it. the thing, and this is this is I think what we sort of touched on with the Jetsons. The animation in the Jetsons is not great. Mm-mm. It's not supposed to be though, because the Jetsons, their popularity was fueled by the writing. It was good writing with uh, mediocre, cheap animation. Mm -hmm. And you're able to get away with that subpar cheap animation by having good writing. 
Nobody wants to watch something where the writing is shit and the animation is lazy. Yeah. So, I mean... That's what this was. The animation is all... I mean, my opinion, this is just my own opinion, is that pretty much all of Hanna-Barbera, the animation is lazy. And and that's not necessarily a criticism. They did they did do a lot of uh, cost saving measures, right? That was but that was intentional. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. That that lazy animation that that they were producing quite often also came along with really good writing mm-hmm. and good voice acting. And here we got some good voice acting. But it's also some junk. And then we got awful writing. Mm-hmm. And that's supposed to be what carries the story. Yeah, now, Scooby-Doo, yeah. the writing was never, like, amazing. Yeah. But the whole thing with Scooby-Doo was, is it was always, like, a whodunit. It was a mystery. So they're trying to figure something out. Yeah, this was... This and the was... silliness of, of Shaggy and Scooby always being terrified of everything. This was more of a sitcom. Yeah, but, like, a poorly written one. Yeah. It was not good. And, and honestly, this was, like, a rose-colored glass destroyed for me because... I love this movie as a kid, and it was like not good. Yeah, Eleanor watched it, and she liked it. She liked it, so maybe that maybe the target demo for this was like your three, three to, to six, three to six year olds, Ish. because yeah, it, it, you, there's nothing there's nothing overtly offensive. If you so the stuff that we found offensive, it's offensive if, if you're an adult. A kid's yeah. not going to have any issue with it. Yeah, a kid's not going to look at Sabella and be like, "That's a sexy lady." They're not because they're they don't have those cues. But an adult would see like the sensual voice and the the lip, like the look, yeah, the look and the lips, and then the high cut slit dress, yeah, and think mm, maybe there's something maybe going on. Maybe this is problematic. Uh, you know, maybe maybe the creepy guy lives in his van with his two dogs showing up to teach at an all girls school. Maybe maybe that's a problem. Yeah, where did he even get that job application? Uh, yeah. Well, why did he apply for that job and not something else? Uh, yeah. Come on, Scoob. We're totally gonna get. We're totally gonna get pelvis deep in all these ghouls. Oh. <laughs> I just imagined him actually saying that too. Scoob, uh, you can have the werewolf chick. Like she's probably in your wheelhouse, man. Oh God, too gross, too gross. I yeah, I don't know. I I, I don't. She think seems I would... like she seems like she's the uh, the type to take control, man. You might want to look out. She might like peg you or something, Scoob. Well, then you'd have Zoinks! Then you would have a a half werewolf, half wolf uh, girl mating with a full dog. So who knows what the hell like, you get? Like with that. I don't even feel bad about ogling Sabella, man. She's like she's like 180 years old, man. She's <laughs> older than I am. Oh yeah, no that well, like in Hotel Transylvania, she she sort of is. Yeah, Zoinks! Right. I, at the end of the day, I don't think I recommend this. No, actually. it's awful. Don't don't ruin your don't ruin your rose colored glasses. If you have memories of this, like just take what we're going with it and just go. And like, and it's so disappointing because Sean and I have talked about this before. Watching ones that are terrible that you really liked that you really liked sucks because yeah. they're just destroyed for you. It makes you think like, how stupid was I as a kid? Yeah. But then, but then your daughter likes it. I don't want to think that. Yeah. Well, no, but I mean, she's three and a half. I mean, yeah. she's like, she's not uh, emotionally as complex as an adult. She hasn't, she's not gotten to that point yet. Yeah. I mean, she's a, she's a pretty sharp kid. She picks stuff up for a three and a half year old more than I, I I'd say is normal, but still, you know, it, it's a, di- what a three and a half year old considers entertainment is, Very different yeah, exactly. than what a 34, almost 35-year-old man considers entertainment. Yeah. So, 
even when we're trying to analyze would this work for kids i guess it probably would i would say that young kids probably wouldn't be offended by it but they're not going to pick it on their own probably no if if it was on if it came on i wouldn't on a channel that they were watching they would probably watch it and probably enjoy it but they wouldn't go seek this out because you're right scooby-doo is not a property that i think a lot of young kids are gonna go out of their way to find no so i think you know for this week That'll do it. Yeah. But we we have one more in our Halloween lineup yeah, coming up. It's, so a, it's a good one. Thankfully. It's a good one. Yeah. And we're going to have a guest a guest host on that one. Yeah. This is one that actually we've gotten a, a bunch, bunch of, of requests. Yeah, a ton of requests. My wife has has been asking, when are you covering this? I can't wait to get to watch it. She just wants an excuse to watch it because we watch it every year. Uh, and then I, I think several people that you know and then we've uh, we've also gotten a couple of uh emails and uh, messages people wanting us to do this one too so yeah so we will and uh, we'll tell you what that is next week so yeah. i think for this week that'll do it so if you want to find us and talk to us on twitter our twitter handle is at remastered cast that is at remastered cast you can also find us on facebook just search for childhood remastered please rate us five stars on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts the rating really helps us out yeah, and we'd also like to thank John Howarth for the use of our intro music, Nascent. You can find links to his SoundCloud on our website, childhoodremastered.com. And also, if you want to send us a, uh, if you want to shoot us an actual phone message, you can do that. We actually have a phone number that you can call and leave us messages, and we will check we will check it and we will see what's going on. We've started to get a couple of those. They're, they're, it's actually kind of nice. Yeah, you can uh, you can find that number on our website, childhoodremastered.com. Under the contact information where it's got all of our yeah, Twitter, on, on the sidebar, if you want to give us a call, our number is 657-206-5644. You can check that out. It's on the right side of the page. And yeah. And if you're mobile, uh, just, just uh, go to the contacts. Yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess that'll do it for this week. Um, we hope you enjoyed this episode and until next time this is Sean and Chris and this has been your childhood remastered we will see you next time zoinks